This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, September 27th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, County releases latest master plan draft. Town Council discusses STR regulatory fee. Summer season wraps up and a mountain weather forecast. The east end of San Miguel County falls over a small section of the high peaks of the San Juans. Towards the south, it encompasses Trout Lake, Mountain Village, then the Ilium Valley. Then, says County Planning Director Kay Simonson, goes as far east as Greyhead and then all the way over to the uh, east side of the county line. And so all these areas, if you really look at a map, they're, they're very much connected to Telluride. The cluster of communities, roads, developments, and open space which swirls around the Box Canyon and is known as the county's east end has its own master plan document. This plan guides long-term community decision-making on issues such as land use, transportation, the economy, housing, recreation, and so forth. The county currently operates off a plan passed in 1989. 34 years later, it's now putting the final touches on a new plan, says Simonson. This one is going to be new in a few ways in that we're starting to talk about sustainability and climate resiliency. You know, back in 1989, nobody was really thinking about that. You know, we thought about the hole in the ozone. But other than that, it wasn't a thing. And now it's very critical. So, you know, bringing in all these very important pieces. The plan is a vision document. It lays out priorities. It takes stock of where things stand today and how they might develop. The planning process begins with gathering information from a community. So we started that last fall with focus group meetings. And then you want to reach out to the community and find out what's important to them. What are they thinking? What do they want to know? What do they want to see in a plan? And uh, we had pop-up events in early December. Uh, The next thing was a community survey uh, that we did in January, February, I think. And really good response for that, over a 1,000 responses on that survey. And then we did a couple of community open houses in March. The County Planning Department and the Planning and Zoning Commission have overseen the process, and this week they've released their latest draft, a 90% draft, says Simonson. So there's still some fine-tuning to do, but the plan that people are going to see this week is getting pretty close. And it has the vision, the goals, the actions, um, the future land use map, uh, all these various pieces all pulled together in a single document. At roughly 150 pages, the document is full of charts, text, images, and appendices. It also includes dozens of maps, which are significant, Simonson says, because of how the master plan guides county land use decisions. The future land use element is an important one. Uh, the future land use element identifies the densities and uses that can be uh, occur in certain areas. And it also calls out the potential zone districts that might fit for that land use. While the plan does discuss possible types of development in an area, it does not change zoning. Zoning changes happen later on, says Simonson, when a property owner comes before the Planning and Zoning Commission. If we got a request for a rezone, like we recently did with the property in Ilium from uh, Mountain Village, uh, we looked at the master plan and said, is 
does the master plan envision this type of use here? And it did. So that's that's one of the most important ways that it comes out. The full plan is available to view at sanmiguelcountyco.gov. As it nears completion, there are still opportunities for public input. Next week, the county will hold two listening sessions at the Wilkinson Library on Tuesday, October 3rd. The open houses will run from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. to 6.45. Comments can also be emailed to planning at sanmiguelcountyco.gov. Telluride Town Council once again discussed potential changes to its short-term rental regulations last week. KOTO's Julia Caulfield has more. Telluride Town Council is continuing to refine its proposed short-term rental regulations. Last week, Council clarified specifications when it comes to rental license categories and discussed the possibility of a regulatory fee. Tiffany Cavanaugh, Telluride Town Clerk, breaks down the seven proposed license types. We would essentially have a classic license in the residential zone, a classic license not in the residential zone, and then those owner-occupied licenses in the residential zone and not in the residential zone. And then those midterm, long term, and then just a lodging license. When it comes to the rental licenses, council says it doesn't want the midterm and long term license applications to be cumbersome, rather a way to track data. Here's Mayor Pro Tem Mian Fee leading into Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson. So we have a, a better context for the conversation. It's, a, it's been a key data point that's been missing in the conversation. And I think moving forward, it just allows us to make more informed decisions. Yeah, I, I think it's personally, I, I think it's going to be uh, an important lever t- to be able to pull here just to track that data. Um, as we know that incentivizing long-term rentals is a goal of of this council and the community, and, and we've got to find more tools to help benefit those long-term renters for sure. And I think the, the data side of it's a, a good one. Under the new categories, there would be different regulations on how many nights an STR license holder could rent, ranging from three short-term rental periods, no more than 29 nights, and three long-term rental periods. Two, no limits on how many nights they can rent. Kavanaugh recommends the license fee on a classic STR license stays the same, with owner-occupied STR licenses being half price. There would not be a license fee for midterm or long-term licenses, and the lodging license fee would remain the same. She also recommends adding an administrative fee to all short-term rental licenses, but not midterm, long-term, or lodging. To cover admin costs, as well as the new software, came to $288 a license. Finally, Kavanaugh asks council if they would like to limit the number of short-term rental licenses one person or entity could hold. Mayor Pro Tem Fee doesn't want to pull back on individuals who already own a number of STR licenses, but she supports limiting the number going forward. Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger says he'll look into it, but notes separating those who already own from those who could own in the future could be difficult. Uh, we're going to have to come up with some specialized language on that because if you think about it, a license is only for one year term anyway. So each renewal is really a new license. So it's a specialized niche. The next conversation surrounds the possibility of a regulatory fee. Brian Duffney with Economic Planning Systems, consultants working with the town, explains. Regulatory fees, they, can, they are used to defray the direct and indirect costs of regulating an activity 
under a comprehensive regulatory scheme. The revenue must be restricted for that purpose. It can't be used for, for general revenue raising purposes. Um, needs to be earmarked within the within the budget. Daphne notes the fees are typically administered on a yearly basis based on the number of bedrooms in a home. So the rationale for an STR fee is that um, short-term rentals are going to continue to be a large component of the of the tourism and visitor economy in Telluride, um, and, and there's it's this 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 balance that uh, many mountain communities struggle with with supporting the 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 tourism economy and and mitigating the impacts on on housing based on the data for Telluride looking at areas including occupancy rate jobs per employee cost of a unit and household size Daphne says the maximum justifiable rate the one you could argue in court would be $2608 per year per bedroom for a short term rental with that said Daphne recommends implementing a rate closer to 65% for council it's split in both directions. Councilmember Dan Enright says he would only accept implementing the fee at 100%. I stand by my original policy of keeping the status quo. No new fee, no change in the cap, remain where we are. Council members Adrian Christie and Geneva Shawnette would support a 70 to 80% fee. Mayor Pro Tem fee wants to look closer to 50 to 60%. Councilmember Jesse Ray Arguez doesn't feel comfortable choosing a fee rate. Councilmember Lars Carlson thinks the rate should be zero. I feel like one of the things that we've missed in this discussion is that we're concentrating everything on the short-term rental. And I think it really should be spread out. I think it shouldn't be just a tax, which I think is what we're looking at on the STRs. But Christy notes she's already making compromise when it comes to the STR policy. Geneva mentioned when in her support of theoretically not having a cap is having meaningful fees. And I feel the same. Yeah. And I don't want that to be a hold hostage situation. But I think that there's two people that are giving a big thing up that was very important to them. And um, if we're all going to be working on compromise, the flip side of that is looking at the fees that make it feel reasonable for us to justify that to the communities that we feel like we're representing. So, council sent staff back to look at how the regulatory fee could play out in a range of levels, from 30% to 80%. Town council plans to discuss and potentially vote on an ordinance on first reading at its meeting on Tuesday, October 3rd. Staff plans to bring more information about what the regulatory fee could look like. Both Labor Day and then last week, the fall equinox, have come and gone, so it seems summer is truly behind us. Alongside a natural transition, that brings an economic one to tell you ride, as the summer festivals wrap up and the ski season starts to loom. Looking back on the season, director of the Telluride Tourism Board, Kira Skinner, recalls a cold, rainy June. Well, the summer was off to a slow start, and possibly due to the weather, as 
we can remember it was a chillier start to the summer season and we had some some rain. And um, so I think that that did affect our visitation earlier in the summer. But a bit of a bump in late season traffic boosted those numbers. So the season overall held steady compared to last year. Lodging trends for the destination for summer, so that's running um, end of May through end of August, were flat for the destination. So total occupancy, which is paid and owner occupancy, closed at 52%. And paid occupancy was flat as well and closed at 45%. If this summer saw little variation, early bookings for winter are a somewhat different story. They're up and pretty significantly, says Skinner. Winter is looking very strong, um, but I do want to caveat that by saying um, we still are a few months out, so the numbers are small and the percentages are high due to that. When we look at um, destination total occupancy, so again, that's paid and owner occupancy, um, we're seeing a 24% increase. Um, So right now, um, we're at 27% occupancy for the winter season. Digging deeper, Skinner does note that for the past few years, Telluride has not marketed itself as a destination. Meanwhile, Mountain Village has done marketing campaigns. The result is that season over season, Telluride is seeing less occupancy, while Mountain Village is consistently seeing more. Looking at projections for the coming winter, as an example, Telluride bookings are actually down, while the increases in bookings appear concentrated in Mountain Village. The same was true for summer. Even though summer held steady overall, the town of Telluride saw a 16% decrease in occupancy, while Mountain Village boosted its levels by 11%. These trends could indicate that Telluride should once again market itself, which was the topic of conversation at a September 21st town council budget meeting. Tom Watkinson, director of communications for the Telluride Tourism Board, says there are anecdotes of declining traffic to back up the data. The Main Street business owners I talk to, including my wife, feel that there are a little bit less people and traffic sensitive businesses like retail maybe feel it a little bit more than uh, and that's why we're recommending um, a a little more marketing, just to make sure we nip that in the bud. Council members are split on whether to invest in a new marketing campaign, but many agree they're hearing feedback from businesses facing a decline in traffic. Council member Jesse Ray Arguez worded a strong desire to see town resume marketing. We're at a pretty important point right now to ensure not just a healthy, social, vibrant local community, but a very... Uh, sustainable economic community too. And I feel like businesses are struggling, employees are struggling. um, And right now we need to step up and do what we can to get some more revenue generated in the town of Telluride. On the whole, council members felt a return to marketing might be necessary. At what cost and to what extent will be determined in the 2024 town budget? The Grand Mesa, Uncompagre, and Gunnison National Forest is celebrating autumn. Forest observers note this season's primary harbinger, the changing of the leaves, has been slow to arrive this year. But this week, the transition to gold is taking off in full. In recognition of the sweet, fleeting moment, the G-Mug is following the best spots for leaf peeping on its Facebook page and has published a leaf peeping guide to its website. 
recommended scenic drives in the vast Gmug forest include Lizardhead Pass between Dolores and Telluride, the Kebler Pass west of Crested Butte, and the Owl Creek Loop, which departs from Ridgeway and moves east along County Road 8 to cross the Cimarron River before popping out on Highway 50 above Montrose. Follow along as the Aspen Turn at fs.usda.gov gmug. While bugs don't tend to bother us here in the high climbs of Telluride, it's been a sobering summer for mosquito-borne illness elsewhere in Colorado, specifically the West Nile virus, which has transferred to humans through the bite of infected mosquitoes. According to the latest state data, the summer of 2023 has seen West Nile rates soar many times higher than previous seasons, with over 430 Coloradans infected. 21 have died from West Nile, though that number will likely continue to climb as data surrounding fatalities tends to have a lag. Colorado has by far the highest case total of any state in the country. California comes in second with only 150 or so cases reported. The Colorado Sun notes the cases are concentrated in urban areas on the Front Range and in the state's agricultural counties. None have been reported in San Miguel County. The risk of West Nile will remain anywhere mosquitoes can be found until the entirety of the state has experienced a hard-killing frost. A Colorado law banning a controversial abortion reversal procedure is one step closer to taking effect. The state medical board adopted a rule last week classifying the procedure as unprofessional conduct. Colorado's nursing and pharmacy boards have also weighed in. They stop short of calling the treatment unprofessional, but they don't support it. The unproven procedure allegedly uses the hormone progesterone in an attempt to reverse medication abortions. Without unanimous approval for the procedure from all three groups, the state law will remain intact. It was put on hold this summer after facing a legal challenge. Attorney General Phil Weiser said he would not enforce the law until the board's new rule takes effect on October 23rd. Four states using water from the Colorado River have agreed to renew a water conservation plan. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, the Upper Basin states will pay farmers and ranchers to use less water. Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico will enter the third year of the program. It's designed to help plan for a future with shrinking water supplies, while those states work with California, Nevada, and Arizona to come up with more permanent reductions. Alex Funk studies water policy at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. I'm encouraged to see that recognition because, I mean, I think that's going to have a lot of value for the upper basin to start thinking about the different tools they can use to build resilience to those impacts on their water users. Funk, who used to work for Colorado's Water Department, says conservation like this is important because a long-term dry trend is likely to outweigh the short-term boost brought by last winter's wet conditions. I'm Alex Hager. Families impacted by a Colorado funeral home body brokering scam gathered last Friday to pay respect to the victims and to release remains. The owners of the Sunset Mesa funeral home in Montrose were sentenced to federal prison for illegally selling body parts and giving clients fake ashes. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Lisa Young brings us this report 
on the memorial ceremony, which was held in Delta. And I thought that maybe we'll just sit here in a circle or something and talk a little bit about our loved ones, just go around the circle and talk a little bit. It was a warm, windy day at Confluence Park as family members gathered around picnic tables to talk about their loved ones, share their joint grief and anger as they prepared to let go of materials given to them by Sunset Mesa funeral directors in lieu of the real cremains. And then we were given uh, ashes of other people, mixed cremains of other people, and that's what we're here for today, to show respect for them and return them back to the earth. That's Judy Kressler from Grand Junction. Kressler's father, a uranium miner from Nucla, passed away from lung cancer. His body was stolen and sold by Megan Hess and Shirley Koch to Global Anatomy Project in Saudi Arabia. Kressler, who was given a mixture of ashes from other deceased individuals, said she was satisfied with the sentencing of Hess and Koch last January. The two pled guilty to one count of mail fraud each. Hess received 20 years and Koch 15. Kressler said the memorial on Friday in Delta was about moving on to the next phase and that's what scattering the ashes is today. It's just moving on to the next phase of the situation and each day gets a little easier. During the memorial service, Leslie Skank, who lost her mother, read a poem she had written entitled On This September Day. It's been a long sad journey to a place that's so unreal the shattered lives and broken hearts of which some will never heal. So here we stand together to release someone's loved one. The evil cast upon them can never be undone. But in the end, the Lord will come and the demons they will pay. So may their spirits fly as we say goodbye on this September day. Taking the long walk down to the Gunnison River, I spoke with Crystal, who lost her grandmother. She was carrying a small, generic plastic baggie secured with a white wire bread tie. In the see-through bag were human cremains and two small cylinder containers, one holding what looked like human teeth. This person, female, male, nothing, nobody's claimed them if they could I don't even know how it worked but yeah it's very disheartening that this person didn't have a family to let him go most of the family members were able to release the materials given to them by Sunset Mesa funeral directors however Julie Glenn from Durango who lost her brother Michael said she needed more time before releasing the cremains given to her But if there was a part of my brother in any one of those bags, I had to say goodbye. And then I'll say goodbye to my own bag at some point. That's the reason, that's what drove me here today. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Judy Kressler read from Psalm 23 as ashes and other materials were released into the Gunnison River near the boat ramp. Leaving the hands of those who had carried the burden for too long, various colors of cremains, ashes, and hardened cement clumps mixed and mingled in the still waters. It will be some time before the contents dissolve and are carried downstream, finally being released from the grip of Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors and its crimes. For KVNF, 
I'm Lisa Young. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight, with a low in the mid-40s, and sunny skies on Thursday with a high near 70 degrees and breezy conditions. Clear skies should remain overnight on Thursday with a low around 40 degrees. Friday expects sun and some wind with a high around 65 degrees, followed by a clear night with a low around 45. This has been the news for Wednesday, September 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Have you noticed cold drafts creeping into your house from poorly insulated windows or doors? Do you have old or inefficient appliances? This is likely a sign that the energy you are paying for each month is being used inefficiently. EcoAction Partners Colorado Affordable Residential Energy, or CARE, program is designed to solve these problems by providing qualifying residents with free energy efficiency and weatherization upgrades. We all know how important it is to spend our money wisely. Keep the heat you are paying for each month inside your home by participating in the CARE program, which provides weatherization and energy efficiency upgrades to insulation, windows, appliances, and other aspects of your home as needed. If you make 80% of the area median income, qualify for LEAP, WIC, or SNAP, you automatically qualify for the CARE program. Whether you own a home or rent, this program could be for you. To apply, visit EcoAction Partners website at ecoactionpartners.org and click on the CARE tab. This program is successful thanks to support from San Miguel Power Association, Black Hills Energy, EcoAction Partners, and Energy Outreach Colorado. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.